Thank you for joining our 2020 Market Outlook webcast. Last year was a remarkable year in the markets, which raises the question, what's in store for 2020? To help you stay prepared for what's ahead, today we'll talk about how the markets performed in 2019, the key forces we expect to shape the markets in 2020, and our investment perspective by asset class. I'm joined today by Austin Shepard, Fiduciary Trust's President and CEO, and Hans Olsen, our Chief Investment Officer. Over to you, Austin. Welcome, and thank you for joining us for our end of the year and beginning of the year review. I'm joined here with Hans. Hans, what a year. Happy uh, New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Um, what I want to do is I want to spend a little bit of time talking about 2019, yeah. which was extraordinary on many different dimensions. But I also want to really focus on what's ahead. Um, right. But let's start off with over 30% return in U.S. equities. Probably not what most people expected, and that we are in that camp uh, this time last year. Right. Talk me through that and, and what drove that. You're right. So we, we expected last year would be a good year. Indeed, you know, probably somewhere in the 10 to 12 percent return expectations. And, and we got, as you said, over 30 percent. Pretty rare stuff. What drove it was essentially a reversal of the Federal Reserve policy. They uh, moved at the end of 2018 to uh, uh, signal that they were pretty much done with uh, interest rate increases and they actually cut it mid-year. So that 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 pivot was essentially the fuel that drove the market through the year. It certainly wasn't earnings, that's for sure, because there wasn't any earnings growth. It was really the change in policy that drove it. And let me ask, a 30% return year, how, what's that happen? Sort of once or twice every, every decade, or what's the frequency on that? Yeah, pretty infrequent is the answer. You can go back, uh, if you look at the S&P, you go back over 91 years, and it happens roughly once a decade. Uh, in the teens, it happened twice. And, mm. and not surprisingly, you know, we have extraordinary monetary policy that fueled it, but it is exceptionally rare. From a larger perspective, Austin, last year was a, a remarkable year right across the board, regardless of where you were, whether you're in the United States, whether you're in Europe or Asia, markets did well. Um, you got paid for taking the risk of being in the markets. And in the uh, fixed income complex too, returns were quite good there. And as you would expect in a year in which interest rates actually fell, mm. if you had longer duration assets, they did particularly well. If you had, if you took credit risk, you did particularly well. And the numbers there were anywhere from six to 16%. Uh, so pretty good year indeed. Were there any surprises across the, the asset class spectrum of underperformance or something that from your standpoint, um, was surprising or different as everything else was rising uh, or a difference in correlation be uh, behavior? Well, I think it, you know the question really uh, came into sharp focus in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. What did well? And the answer was, it was really an indiscriminating market. Everything that went up, low quality stocks, high quality stocks, especially in the United States, they all lifted and uh, that, that caught me by surprise. So Hans, given the extraordinary year that we had last year, uh, as we pivot to the next 12 months, do you see the same 
characteristics that we just experienced carrying on into uh, 2020. And I guess particularly as it relates to the U.S. equity markets. How do you think about that? Uh, in 2020, the, the going, I think, gets a bit trickier. And that's principally because um, having a 30% uh, increase in what you pay for any uh, amount of earnings is a fairly rare event, right? right? Doesn't tend to repeat itself. That's number one. Number two, then we get back to sort of the more traditional metrics of, of market valuation, which is earnings growth mm -hmm. and what you pay for those earnings. And so from an earnings growth perspective, um, right now the consensus holds that earnings will be up somewhere on the order of about 10%. Just under ten percent, we expect it's going to be up somewhere between four and six percent. On the so, let me just pause. Why are you a little bit uh, more cautious uh, mm -hmm. than maybe the consensus expert? Well, when you have an economy that's growing about two percent, which is what we expect to do this year, and a global economy that's going to grow somewhere on the order of two and a half percent, below two and a half percent, actually. That would only support earnings growth in the United States of about 5%, which is historically where it has been. And the other thing is, is that um, the consensus tends to always overshoot uh, as far as where they think earnings will be versus where they actually are. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So you think it's going to be in sort of the four to six sort of range four on the six. earnings growth. Yeah. Over here on the on the payment, the price multiple, what are, what are you thinking about? Which you actually pay for those earnings, right. which determines the price. Uh, well, on a historical basis, uh, the P-E ratios are very high. On a, on a trailing basis, they're up over 20, which is historically hmm. very high indeed. On a forward basis, they've also pushed higher, as you might expect. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, we're currently between 18 or 19 on a forward basis, depending upon the data set you use. The point is, is that, you know, historically, you never really sustain a number at 20 or above. In other words, it takes you 20 years to earn back what you've paid for right. uh, the market. And, and that is a very long time indeed, when normally it's somewhere down around 14 to 16 times. So would you expect over the next 12 months a compression, uh, a drop off of those uh, multiples? My guess is that we mark time. Actually, okay. uh, so not much in the way of, of, of market movement, more like market churn mm -hmm. would be my guess, while we get a sense of where the earnings are going to unfold. And of course, the influence that uh, what you would pay for those earnings will be in part determined by what the Federal Reserve does. And, um, you know, we are in an election year, Austin, right? So uh, historically, the Fed has, has remained pretty quiet during election years as they want to stay far away from uh, the political landscape. So that would be different than what we experienced last year. Right, because I think what we were just talking about is what really drove a lot of the equity valuation was a decline or a reduction in, in the Fed uh, reducing yields. Your point is more likely than not going to be probably flat. Probably flat for the most part, yes. And, and then if, if there is upside this year, it will be what people pay for those earnings. They'll have to go up even further. Uh, by my calculation, if you were to take that 6% earnings growth and put it at the very top of that range, that 20 multiple, that'd get you about a 5 or 6% return. That would probably be the, the best that you could hope for. Not bad, not great, and certainly not 30%. 
How do you think about the, given uh, the dollar mm-hmm. and the, the strength of the dollar, weakening of the dollar, how does that influence your perspective? So our view this year is that we will finally see a, a, a shift in the dollar regime from a strong dollar regime to a, a weaker dollar regime. Um, and that's already started to happen. And just again, explain what does that mean? Does that mean that our dollars are able to buy more or less? Or how do we think about less. that? Okay. It'll be able to buy less of things that we would purchase from abroad. We've had an extraordinary period of a strong dollar relative to the euro, the yen, uh, and the like. And, and we've benefited from that because it's given us purchasing power. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as as growth rates around the world, the di- growth rate differentials around the world have started to to compress, yep. yeah, and interest rates have come down. Uh, the spreads have started to um, compress as well, and the fact that you know we we tend to um, use our currency as a uh, trudgeon to get people to do what they want through um, sanctions and the like. So there's this notion of currency weaponization. The demand for dollars um, could very well start to pivot, and which would lead to a weaker currency. Would that uh, lead to increased uh, sale of our goods abroad? It could, and that could certainly it certainly figures into the higher range of our earnings estimates. Where if we were to get a six percent earnings growth next year, it would be the result of a weaker dollar, a marginally weaker dollar, which would help the value of uh, of what we're getting. You know, our, our competitiveness abroad. In addition to thinking about how the path of the dollar is also this question about the path of the yield curve. Um, We've spent uh, a significant amount of time in these conversations about talking about the yield curve, about um, how much you are, when you lend money uh, or borrow money, what the yield is in in three months, in a year, in three years, and in 10 years, right? Uh, And this aspect about last year, there was an inverted curve, right? Which which is a unique occurrence. Um, Things are different now. And how do you think about um, the course of play through the next 12 months? So that's right. So we started the year uh, and, and indeed endured most of last year with a yield curve that was negatively shaped. Uh, and that was principally based on concerns around growth. As those growth concerns receded, the yield curve started to become normally shaped again. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. However, there's still, by recent counts, roughly uh, 40% of uh, the global market, global bond market, where if you invest in it, you will lose purchasing power. Hmm. Uh, which is which basis. is this negative yield uh, discussion? Another form of this negative yield discussion. So, uh, you know, it's still out there. It's become less so, but it is something that we and indeed our counterparts in other markets will have to deal with. And so, is it your expectation that uh, again these are all interlinked to largely monetary policy? Indeed. Um, is it your expectation? And you made the comment earlier about the presidential cycle that we probably won't see many rate cuts, if any, uh, somewhere between one or two this year or zero and two? And my guess is we, we wouldn't see any this year. I mean, the, uh, the central bankers have already said that they're happy to let inflation run a bit hotter than they normally would. They'd like it to take hold. Inflation really isn't a problem right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's running at 2%. Uh, that's pretty much right in the range. So, uh, and especially in an election year, you know, you probably want to stay away from changing the price of money. So my expectation is we won't see anything happen this year. 
Let's talk about um, some macro events. Yeah. So we've been talking about some of the fundamental components about the markets, but there are uh, global news events mm. uh, that influence uh, the returns. Um, uh, clearly on that list are uh, China, uh, Brexit, uh, and now Iran. And across those three, how do you see those political and uh, geopolitical issues influencing uh, portfolios? Sure. You know, when I think about these issues, I think about them in terms of geopolitical, economic slash policy, and then finally financial. And um, this notion of when you, when you think about Brexit and Europe and China, really that is 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 more economic, right? And it's this notion of which we've talked about in the past of peak trade, right? Mm -hmm. Integration, uh, economic integration, and we've gone through um, a period of remarkable over the last twenty years, remarkable globalization. Mm -hmm. And if history serves as any guide, globalization waxes and wanes. And I think we are at peak globalization at the moment. So, and if anything, we could see a, um, a decoupling of economic blocks. Mm -hmm. And that's what essentially Brexit is about and, and are trying to reset terms of trade with China. This is going to continue. Again, if past is prologue, uh, these periods of decoupling last for many decades. years. Yes. Yeah, yeah, or decade or decades, so many years. And from an investor standpoint, yeah. uh, so these are, are long, decade-long sort of trends. How does that inform the way that you invest or, or structure a portfolio? Yeah, you, you really look at more market-specific um, issues, right? Mm -hmm. So you're focused really much more on market valuations, market catalysts. Uh, you can't assume that the lowest cost producer will always be in China. You're going to have to rework your supply lines and see how that impacts your margins. And the thing is, right now, um, from the perspective of, of large-cap U.S. companies, we are at peak margins. Mm -hmm. um, we've enjoyed extraordinary margins, um, much higher than what they have historically been. And this all uh, militates against continued uh, margins at these levels. Mm. So what we're saying is high margins, we have high multiples, mm -hmm. um, and this will continue for a period of time, but at some point it probably won't. It does feel like we're walking along the uh, peak, the ridge line of the peak. Uh, uh, you mentioned earlier, and I'd like just to uh, come back to this point about uh, presidential elections and the the impact on the markets uh, that uh, presidential elections. There is a correlation or some uh, pattern uh, recognition here in how markets do through year one, two, three, and four. What's your observation this year? Well, the, the, the best year of a uh, presidential cycle is year three. Which we just, we just, had, we just had. But in year four, um, markets tend to be up. Um, hmm. And you know, markets tend to be up most of the time. But uh, uh, politics uh, really doesn't tend to have a material and durable impact on markets. Markets find a way to make money and thrive regardless of who's there. Um, so I wouldn't expect anything different this year. The only other thing, and before we get into how you're thinking about the, the portfolios across multiple assets, the only final what I want to ask is a little bit about Iran and oil. Yeah. At least in this first quarter, how are you thinking about the impact of potential conflicts and how that's playing out? If I think about it through the lens of is it is it uh, is it a disruptive event uh, and will it impact? Uh, 
our risk premium that we need on, on asset classes and uh, will it impact the cash flows that we receive from them? The answer uh, is definitely no. But on a, on a finer point, I am amazed that despite all of this, and, and, and we can look back a couple of months ago when um, Iran hit uh, the Saudi facility uh, uh, of Aramco, uh, which was a significant hit, um, how, how oil has failed to be um, uh, really durably affected by mm. that. As we speak, despite all of this, and it's far from clear that everything is resolved here, um, energy prices have now very quickly receded again. Is that a standpoint that the energy market and oil supply has diversified given fracking and all these other sorts of things? Or is it just uh, a sense that this won't necessarily impede the, the flow of oil? Well, I think if we think about it, if we compare this to the mid-1970s with the era of oil embargo, mm -hmm. um, what this is telling us now, and this is instructive, that our energy intensity is down. We are now um, net energy exporters. Mm -hmm. um, so our and the, and the types of energy that we rely on are changing. So uh, it, this mix all says that you know oil doesn't necessarily have the hold that it once did. That it once did. So Hans, we have uh, we've got a lot going on. How do you take all of these different factors and put them together for a cohesive portfolio? What, what are your uh, perspectives on different asset classes for this year? Well, I, I think uh, for the fir first thing, and this is 2020 is going to be a year in which people are going to have to pay attention to portfolio construction. Mm -hmm. So everything that we've talked about with um, valuations being higher um, uh, and being later in the business cycle, uh, all sort of shrinks the margin of safety. So I think investors, uh, and certainly we're going to be focused on making sure that our risk positioning in portfolios is correct for the environment, and that we will be quick to make changes that if we see any threats uh, in the environment, because you become much more attuned to all of this in the later stages of the business cycle. And this, this is the cycle, longest cycle we've ever had. Longest we've ever had. So uh, th that's where we're going to start. We are still pretty optimistic on the U.S. market that we've maintained an overweight there, mm -hmm. um, even though we do seem to be at peak levels. If we can make a five or six percent return this year, well, that will clear the inflation rate, and that that should end up being a decent return. Uh, we're getting more interested in in Europe as that story unfolds, and we talk about how uh, in our outlook, how with new leadership in the European Union, perhaps at last. Europe will be uh, an outperformer relative to the U.S. Yep. If there was ever a catalyst, this is we time. certainly have it, right? And we certainly have valuation in our favor. If we have a weaker dollar, Austin, emerging markets should do uh, well, finally. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it has been a perennial laggard. And we get this weaker dollar, we should see a better performance there. And indeed, what we've done is we've uh, reduced our underweight to a neutral weight now in emerging markets in anticipation of that. And so far, that's worked out quite nicely. Because we're going to stay in a, uh, a very low interest rate world, we uh, are favoring you know, investment grade credit, structured credit. Mm -hmm. uh, one, because of the underwriting standards, right? Get better protections. And two, because we can pick up some yield. Um, we get some income from those relative to what is available in other areas. We remain underweight high yield simply because the underwriting standards there are not good enough for us. 
Uh, international bonds are getting in interesting. Um, we're not putting any money there at this juncture. And then finally, uh, where we can, we're looking increasingly at private assets if there are opportunities for us to take advantage in that space. And then finally, uh, we are underweight cash. Mm. Uh, if, we, if we would have our druthers, we would have no cash because now you are guaranteed a loss of purchasing power if you hold it. That wasn't the case last year, but it is the case now. You clarify, which is liquidity, balancing liquidity and illiquidity continues to be an important piece. And, it's, it's, piece. and, and so that's that also factors into how we think about the, the cash position. Always does, always does. But in a perfect world, you wouldn't hold it. But in reality, you have to have some. Excellent. Hans, let me conclude with uh, asking you, what are the three things that uh, we should look at uh, or the metrics that we should look at over the next 12 months? I think there are the, the three things that I'm going to be keeping an eye on uh, will first be that earnings. Yep. Will our earnings uh, are going to play out as we expect? Or will there be surprises there? The second thing uh, will be the dollar, of mm -hmm. course. You know, do we see uh, uh, the, the conditions continue to develop where you get a weakening dollar? And finally, uh, and this is a little bit of inside baseball, but one of the worries that we have is that in the in the um, the, the private equity space, there's been a great deal of activity. Prices have been paid that are really quite curious, right? Troublesome. And does that end up bleeding into the public markets if we have any real um, negative um, events that develop there that could then impact the private market and uh, the public markets? Interesting. Hmm. Thank you, Hans. Uh, we look forward to seeing you at the end of the first quarter. Uh, and I think we, as we've articulated, we have a full year ahead of us. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the discussion useful. You can find Market Outlook and other insights on our website at fiduciary-trust.com. If we can be of assistance, please reach out to a fiduciary trust officer. Thanks again for joining us. The opinions expressed in this video are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. The materials discuss general market conditions and trends and should not be construed as investment advice. Any reference to specific securities are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended to be and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice, and listeners should discuss any proposed arrangement or transaction with their investment, legal, or tax advisors.